Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Laws with Restore Retreat. It's early. We are coming to you early. It's be- early. Because of the Saints game. Yes, Who dat? Who dat? Can you believe it's BJ is in studio with his hat on, his his Saints hat on. I cannot believe it's almost football season. I'm really excited. So my husband is a Saints season ticket holder, and we're talking, you know, and I was like, oh, well, the Saints game's on tomorrow night. He's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, hello. Like, (laughs) you know, and so he's like, you know, I still haven't seen anything about the Saints being on. And I'm like, hello, all the news people are there. And so it really snuck up on us this year. But then I started to see some of the um, it's away at first. And then but next week they're home and um, and then they're away again and think um, and then home again. Yes. BJ's nodding. Very Jay exciting. Our Saints expert. Well, here. you know, so, do, you, do you think this is the year? I mean, I think Drew Brees has one more in him. He's got two, right, yeah. BJ? And not one more Super Bowl? Or yeah. just one more light? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Let's, let's, <laughs> whoa, you took this to a really dark place. All no, of I just sudden. meant like... <laughs> one more season. No, one we're talking season. Super Bowl. Yeah. 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 Okay, this but let's not Sure. Okay. Yes. Anyway. Way to go, Jacques. Way to go. So what's up? Not much, you know. Um, I'm actually going on a field trip tomorrow. Shocked. Yeah, we're going out of Port Sulphur with some of our colleagues from Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. We're going to tour some off-bottom oyster reefs. Oh, I had a conversation about that earlier yeah. this week. Very I, nice. I've heard so much about it, and I know... Uh, We've been to the hatchery the, the in Grand Isle. Yes. Yeah, so I'm excited to see it. I've never really seen it. Yeah, close, so. uh, yeah, and it's very interesting. And uh, then one of the... They probably hate me for always talking about this, but one of the takeaways was that um, the laws had not actually caught up to the technology because the fine for stealing... Um, you know, an oyster cage, I guess they're, or oyster, they're not traps. What are they, Alicia? Do you know? Oyster. Oyster cage. Basket. Yes. Basket. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, it was it's like $50 or something like that. Well, it's hard to do when they're on the ground, but now that they're off bottom, it's much easier to steal. And, and the value of what's in that is way more than the fine. And so, but that was just an interesting discussion about how, um, you know, we have these technologies and we need policies and laws Mm -hmm. to catch up with it in the restoration world. Yeah. We're seeing that. I mean, the, the, it's almost like the technology and the issues are evolving so fast that you need to evolve. Well, tomorrow is a big day for restore retreat. It is. It is. While you're out partying it up, apparently eating oysters. Uh, a friend of mine used to have a sign in their shed that said, um, eat oysters, love longer. So I'm going to get you a mug that says that. But um, so Restore Retreats actually handling our business and we have our annual meeting at Nichols. Um, you may know that we're housed on Nichols campus, mm-hmm. have always been housed on campus. Uh, and so um, we have uh, Leah Brown from Chevron coming in. Chevron has been a longstanding supporter and partner with Restore Retreat. They make these field trips possible. And uh, they're also supporting an initiative that we're doing in Terrebonne Parish uh, later this fall, where we're bringing in every Terrebonne Parish 10th grader wow. to the technical school and introducing them to coastal careers. That's so awesome and so important. You know, yeah. whether you well, are now that Terrible. I know that you have experience dealing with mass groups of children, yes. you will have to come. The summer camp where I had uh, 70 yes. summer campers yes. in ages 3 to 17. I managed it and I actually enjoyed it. So, yes. you know, you learn things about yourself. Well, look, we have 1,100. Yes. 
And so, but what better place? I grew up in Terrebonne, obviously, but so much work can happen there and will happen there in the next couple of years. We want um, these kids to know that there is a workforce out there that they can, um, you know, help build Louisiana's coast. Yeah, and an overstore retreat has done a lot in that realm and just getting that message out, you know, in various ways. Um, but it's so true. I mean, there's so much opportunity. We want whether they're high school, college, we had Lindsay Cooper yes, on last definitely. week um, to think about the future opportunities here in Louisiana that you, you may not have to go out of state I agree. to pursue that career. Yeah. In the technical colleges and Nichols itself, they're very interested in knowing about all of the work and how they connect uh, their curriculum to the future and what's going on here too. Cool. So yeah. And then next week, there's a CPRA meeting in Baton Rouge next Wednesday. Yeah, House Committee Room 5, which means that it also will be, uh, they Facebook Live it, but they, um, when it's at the Capitol, they live stream it on the legislature's page. So no excuse to Mm -hmm. miss it. Um, They just announced that they had a new board member uh, appointed from Plaquemines Parish. Parish, And there's a Governor's Advisory Commission meeting coming up, a finance work group that's going to talk a little bit about the financing. Anything else going on? It's, isn't August supposed to be quiet? I know. Oof. Well, not yet. Okay. Not yet. Uh, but we are looking forward to September. We have an event that we're planning, uh, a Coastal Connections event. So hopefully we'll be able to bring more information and um, bring maybe some of our old friends. Yeah. And we actually have some good guests coming up yeah. in the future. Um, you know, I'm, I've been talking to um, Ben Depp, who mm-hmm. is a really well-known photographer who's done a lot on coast, documenting coastal land loss. Um, so he's going to be joining Very in the future. Cool. We have the folks from Marsh Dog who are going to be on. Yes, so some good exciting. shows ahead. But finally, we got Alicia Renfro back on. And we're looking forward to talking to her. She she kind of slipped in the rankings of, um, you know, how many times she appeared on the show. And yeah. her, her good friend, Alex, was, I think, gunning for her. And uh, but she's back. I think she's, she's back. back to take her title. Well, back. let's welcome her officially back. Dr. Alicia Renfro, staff scientist with the National Wildlife Federation. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you. She looks all rested like she just rolled out of vacation or something like that. Something like that. How so are the highlands of where Scotland? Where were you? Yeah. So I, I took a break from the heat of Louisiana <laughs> and went to uh, Scotland for a couple of weeks. Where it was so very hot in Scotland, it was seventy degrees. I have it was a, very hot. For I have them. a very <laughs> important question about Scotland. Have you seen the new trailer for Mary Queen of Scots, starring Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie? I have not, I but have. I am excited. It looks now. really <laughs> good. Yes, there's a lot of Oscar buzz. Simone and yes. I will probably be there opening yes. night. Yeah, yeah. I love awesome. that kind of stuff. And had you ever been before? No, um, I had actually been planning to go to Scotland in 2012 when a little hurricane named mm. Isaac rolled through Whoa. and got my flight canceled. Mm. Well, you finally got back there. I did. Yeah. Very nice. I saw that you took some hikes. Yes, it was mostly hiking. Seven days of hiking across the Scottish Highlands, about 100 miles total. Oh, that sounds It was so good. Amazing. It was bad. It was great. It was sometimes miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and, but then you come back here and it's about 90 degrees. It rains every day now still. So yeah. welcome back to Louisiana, yeah. Alicia. And Alicia, everything's <laughs> been solved and yes. figured out. Yes. I know. I came and back <laughs> and I had no emails. <laughs> I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately, that's not the case. But <laughs> she did this on purpose, right? She dropped the Mythbusters blog and then she left. Yeah. I did. <laughs> she literally did a mic drop. She was like, mic drop. I'm out to Scotland, people. I literally finished it on the plane. So. <laughs> um, well, speaking of the Mythbusters blog, so it's also known as the Mississippi is our greatest force for building land. And it's on our Delta Dispatches website on MississippiRiverDelta.org. Um, really great interactive visual blog. Um, why did you write this blog, Alicia? 
So, in recently, it's come to my attention that there's been a lot of um, discussion of science, but talking about it and misapplying or misinterpreting what some of the science says. And I think it's it's easy to get confused about what's out there and what it really means. Uh, not to not to bag on my fellow scientists at all, but we're not the greatest communicators at times. Um, and so I really wanted to just kind of like take a real look at what was going on in the science, what is it telling us, and really kind of try to dispel some of what I think is misinterpretation of what's out there. Yeah, I mean, that's so important, right? Because something as simple as where a study is conducted or the amount of, I don't know, variables you put can have huge profound impact impacts mm -hmm. and a lot of the people that are working in coast I mean there's so many coastal scientists right but then you have people journalists others policymakers who are trying to interpret that science mm -hmm. and if they don't understand the context in which the science was done it mm -hmm. could be easily confused and misrepresented oh definitely you know scientists like when we when we put together studies they're trying to ask a very specific question and that might not be broadly applicable in some ways like it means a very specific thing in a very specific place Right. And I mean, as we know, our coast is incredibly dynamic. It is very, you know, just different depending on where you are. The projects that are being put forth are very much, you know, there's no one size fits all project. And so it's co complex. So we definitely want to get into the content of the blog, maybe bust, bust some myths. Um, we're about to head into a break. But when we're back, we're going to talk more about this. And um, Alicia's blog, The Mississippi is Our Greatest Force for Building Land. Indeed. There was actually a st uh, story that came out in Engineering News Record today about uh, sediment diversions, basically saying that this, uh, sediment diversions are, you know, our saving hope. So mm -hmm. anyway, we'll be right back on Delta Dispatches. Uh, you're listening to WGSO, 990 AM, always available online on deltadispatches.org. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org slash Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats, for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore a Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us 
us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches coming to you live earlier than usual because of the Saints game. I'm Jacques Bear with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. And we have, you know, we have a lot of avid listeners, but we mm-hmm. also have avid guests. Love her. And so we are so excited to have our number one avid guest, Dr. Alicia Renfro with National Wildlife Federation. Twitter at Alicia Renfro. Yeah, she's active. She's a good one, too. I love I love Alicia's tweets. That she's like the, you know, we talked about science communications, and Alicia, like, took that to heart, and she's a good retweeter and tweeter. Are you a tweeter? Yeah. Yeah? Tweeter? I've been a little lax like, about it lately, but Twitter. yeah, I gotta get Twitter. Twitter. Get, gotta get back to tweeting. <laughs> Alicia's just great all around in terms of... I, I wish we could clone Alicia. I agree. I don't know. I don't know. We might not like evil Alicia. <laughs> I might be evil. <laughs> All right, Alicia, what do you think about us going through these things and just, you know, yes, no, yeah. true, false? Okay, so Alicia, first one. Let's discuss everyone's favorite boogeyman, the Carnarvon Freshwater Diversion. People point that the project, they say that that project caused land loss, but... No. I mean, it's... <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> So, you know, people people see what, um, you know, you see these images before and after Hurricane Katrina and land loss in that area. And that area was severely impacted by land loss during Hurricane Katrina because a big hurricane came <laughs> through that area. The funneled the storm surge up into that upper basin part. In that particular area. Yeah, in yeah. that specific area. And it's not the first time you've seen land loss in that area. Hurricane Betsy back in 1965 also caused land loss. And that was... A long time before that diversion ever came online. Yeah. So, I mean, you saw similar wetland loss from a hurricane in 1965. The Carnarvon freshwater diversion was nowhere around. It wasn't right. uh, even constructed. Mm-hmm. Right. So, hurricanes cause loss. But mm-hmm. but the marshes in, in, in Breton Sound and Breton Basin, you know, have been kind of weakened, right? But, and making them more vulnerable to hurricanes. Yeah. They've been cut off from sediment for a long time. And so... Um, you know, once you have the levees in place, you don't have that sediment flowing into it anymore. And it's really that sediment that helps give the plants something to hold on to. Without that sediment, the plants are kind of left on their own, just trying to grow and exist and keep pace with sea level rise. Uh, and so you had the system that was cut off. It was cut off back when we started first building levees. So Betsy comes through, it damages the area. And then 40 years later, when Katrina comes through, a bigger stronger hurricane and 40 more years of sediment starvation you have devastating loss in that area and you had wetland loss in other parts of the coast where there were no freshwater diversion from definitely katrina right yeah and this is this seems like you know i heard brad barth at cpra say this the other day but i mean as a scientist and you know as somebody who does this you're supposed to look not at things in isolation always Mm -hmm. and and that's the example for Carnarvon, right it's like no you can't yes it was devastating after katrina but there is more to that story Mm -hmm. and let me tell the rest of that story the history of it and oh by the way other places besides just Carnarvon, they've also lost land so Mm -hmm. i think that's really important about the work that you did here was Mm -hmm. just to be like you cannot look at this in isolation if we did, then we would be in a world of hurt about so many things, right? So I, li- I like that approach to it. And you have to understand the broader context of our coast and the fact that a lot of times the freshwater marshes we have are ones that have been cut off by set- yeah. from sediment right. for a long time. And so they do tend to be more vulnerable. Well, and I mean, not to, you know, de-emphasize what Carnarvon has done. I mean, it was never 
built or operated right. to build land. It's a freshwater right. diversion, not a sediment diversion. And we, but it still has had some land building, correct? It has, yeah. Um, since um, since it's been operating, if you look on a map, there's an area called Big Mar. It's a little blank square of water. If you fly over it these days, it's not a blank square anymore. There's an actual delta that's being built at the at the outfall of the Carnarvon I diversion. think LPBF has something like 700 acres around yeah. that amount. Yeah, and yeah. I had talked to Aaron uh, at CPRA about this too. Um, when we did Voices of the Bayou and, and we went to that event, um, we had someone talk about Davis Pond, which is almost a sister project to Carnarvon. I hadn't been there as long, but it was that same thing, the same idea that, oh, that's not doing what it was supposed to be doing. And it's like, it's a freshwater diversion, and it is still building land. And Erin told me she thought, um, you know, just some math on it, she thought it was 800 acres mm-hmm. in Davis Pond. But think, we heard the mm-hmm. same argument was that, oh, that's not even working. And it's like, actually, yeah, it's working despite what it was actually intended what? to do. Because they are operated to control salinities right. in their respective basins. Right. And so, in fact, not only are they not operated to capture sediment, but they're actually operated in a way that's usually when there's less sediment in the river. So yeah, you're, you're really kind point. of like putting yourself right. at a deficit. Well, and that's so the point. marshes that people are pointing to where there was loss after Katrina, after Betsy, I mean, those are not necessarily near the outfall either, right? So those marshes aren't getting sediment as much from anything. Right, because so there is sediment that comes through Carnarvon um, and into the Big Mar area, but it doesn't get spread out um, in a large area. And so those marshes are still without sediment even though the Carnarvon Diversion is bringing some sediment into the system. Hence the need for the Mid-Breton mm-hmm. and Mid-Barret area sediment diversions. Sediment. Right. Yep, get that sediment back out there, start building new wetlands, start making stronger wetlands. You can almost say it's the sediment, stupid. It is. <laughs> That's well, your new mug. Not eat oysters, yeah. love longer. <laughs> um, all right, well, I mean, other benefits, right? We had um, Larry Reynolds, who's with Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, uh, present to us yesterday. And he was talking about, like, you know, waterfowl and tracking waterfowl over time and, and kind of their population health. Um, one of the things he did say that was super interesting was, you know, after the oil spill, mm-hmm. they ran the diversions, Carnarvon and Davis Pond, at full capacity to try to flush the oil out. But at the same time, after that, after they did that, the area was like inundated with waterfowl. Like mm-hmm. you had birds just flock to those areas because they had created kind of sub uh, SAVs and other kind of <laughs> ecosystem right. that benefits uh, birds, right? Yeah, but basically, yeah, you had you had vegetation. The ducks like to eat come in. You had nice um, shallow water areas, which ducks really prefer. They they, you know, if you build it, they will come. Uh, they moved into that and area. think about how quickly too mm-hmm. you know that that happened and so and that was kind of an accidental result yeah well when i've gone i mean we've all kind of taken tours of these areas and it just feels alive right yeah. there's gators bugs birds you know you hear it it's so. noisy sometimes it is. <laughs> it is. everything's buzzing around you <laughs> it is very fun so um the breton basin so let's talk about that you know why the why that area is vulnerable to storm surge and, and to hurricanes uh, the Breton Basin is vulnerable for a couple of different reasons. Um, one is that, you know, you, you do have a system that is largely, at least in the upper part of that basin, cut off from sediment flow from the river. You also have kind of the, the shape of the basin itself. On the western side, you have the Mississippi River level, levee. Uh, and on the eastern side, you have Bayou Terrebuff Ridge. And then farther over, the uh, Mississippi River Gulf Outlet. And so it kind of forms a little funnel that if you have storm surge, like, the direction you had from Hurricane Katrina, you like push it up so it funnels up into that point. 
causing a lot of damage. And like that's a known hot spot for yeah. hurricanes too, right? Yeah. I mean, if you you know if you they like seen that the track. Kind of, exactly, <laughs> we've all seen the kind of spaghetti looking things where they never seem to go some places, but they do definitely like that area there. They well, do. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about. I mean, because yes, we can focus on um, you know that area, but there are other areas of the coast you know, that we point to as examples of land building and what happens when you let the river and sediment and freshwater kind of regularly nourish wetlands. Mm -hmm. Um, So Wax Lake Delta, tell Mm -hmm. us about that. So the Wax Lake Delta is a delta that is formed um, at the end of the Wax Lake outlet, which was dredged, a channel dredged by the Army Corps of Engineers back in the 1940s. Uh, The only purpose of this outlet was to relieve water pressures at Morgan City. That's all it was ever meant to do. But over time, a delta has formed and continues to grow and push out into the Gulf. So this is an area that is not only like surviving, but it's thriving. And it continues to gain land almost every year, despite the fact that it does get impacted by hurricanes. It's pushing out into the Gulf. In fact, it got walloped by Hurricane Rita. When Rita came through, you can see from satellite imagery that some of the vegetation gets stripped away. But even just a year later, you start to see it bounce back. You have yeah. that sediment and fresh water coming into the area, and the marshes are more resilient. Talk about a noisy area if you've ever been to Wax Lake. I mean, it's oh, yeah. noisy out there. And they um, they also uh, say that, that that Delta protected them, you know, immensely during Reed, even though it got hurt, too. So just a reminder, you can take a virtual tour of Wax Lake Delta. Led by Alicia. Anytime, <laughs> yeah, definitely, at mrd.org 360. Uh, you're listening to Delta Dispatches early. We're going to take a break, and we'll talk more with Alicia Renfro when we get back. Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Samoma Loss with Restore Retreat. It is not the Wine and Spirits show. Unfortunately. Or maybe behind the scenes, it's the Wine and Spirits show. Well, I'm, I'm drinking water right now, so unless you want to turn this water <laughs> I'm, I'm into wine. That. Is, that, <laughs> is that what that is? Shout out to my husband who's listening earlier. Hey, Billy. <laughs> he probably thought it was the Wine and Spirits <laughs> show. That's why he tuned yeah, in. Sadly, no, there's no wine involved in this craziness. <laughs> Alicia, you got anything that you're drinking over there? Nope, I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so we are back and we are busting myths. That's hard to say um, with Dr. Alicia Renfro. Um, we were talking about Wax Lake Delta. So you you obviously were the star of our 360 video. It's so nice. Which is amazing, and people are loving it. But you also did an amazing blog called A Tale of Two Basins. Yes. Tell us about The Tale of Two Basins. So The Tale of Two Basins is about the Atchafalaya Basin and the Terrebonne Basin. Two basins in kind of the central coast of Louisiana that are right next to one another but tell a very different story. Um, The Atchafalaya Basin is one of land growth. You know, land is being gained every year. It is pushing out into the Gulf. Meanwhile, right next to it, the Terrebonne Basin, which is completely disconnected from any flow of the Atchafalaya or Mississippi River, is a dying basin. It is one that um, is converting to open water every year and has kind of a bleak-looking future. We've done some flyovers for that area, uh, including with Senator Chabert, and, and we've flown... Um, you know, kind of that south uh, line and you go over Terrebonne and then you hit, you know, kind of western Terrebonne and it's unbelievable. I mean, the difference within that same parish about the closer you get to the Chafalaya and, and how much more lush and, and lively that it is. And it's it's true, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you definitely see that that very distinct line between 
what is within the influence of the Atchafalaya River and, and what is completely isolated and, from it. I mean, obviously, Simone, this is your territory. We love Terrebonne. You know, there needs to be, you know, focus. And a lot of the bigger islands have been working to protect mm-hmm. that and kind of maintain sediment, introduce sediment into the system. But, you know, it's such a stark contrast that that's why we pointed out, right? Yeah, yeah and we uh, we actually have another blog about uh, Whiskey Island, and it features the, the parish president from Terrebonne, Gordy Dove, talking about they just completed Whiskey Island. But there's another project planned for that area that, that we work on called Increase Atchafalaya, and that is to move more fresh water. It's a diversion, but it's back to a freshwater diversion um, just because that plumbing in Terrebonne needs to be reworked. And um, the story is different because bringing in the fresh water from the Atchafalaya could prevent the loss of thousands of acres. And so, again, that is a little different. When we talk about sediment diversions, we talk about building land. Mm-hmm. And in this case, increase Atchafalaya sustains what we already have. Yep. And and so that's important. And that that's kind of a freshwater and sediment discussion, right? You yeah. Know, mm-hmm. Freshwater can save what you have and sediment builds it back. Right. Fair. That's a myth. I just busted. Good job. (laughs) So continuing on the tale of, there's also a tale of two banks, right? On the Mississippi and Plaquemines Parish, the East Bank and the West Bank. And we're not talking about high school football rivalries. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are some other differences going on on the East Bank and West Bank. What are those? So it's kind of remarkable. Again, if you do um, a flyover, get a chance to see it from the air. As you move down the river, you start to see a big difference. On the east bank of the river, you actually, once you hit the Bohemia Spillway, Mardi Gras Pass, and further down, you actually have the river regularly flowing into those areas, bringing sediment and fresh water, and you see green, lush, solid-looking wetlands. On the western side of the river, however, that is completely cut off from, um, from the river itself, you see the wetlands disappearing almost up into the back levee. There's nothing there, and what is left is um, in pretty poor shape. We, we had a chance to go down there last week. We talked about it on, on last week's show as well. We probably took up time too much time talking about Rocky and Carlos's, but uh, <laughs> I did have a chance to go down there the first time that I had been south of Carnarvon and went to, to where little Jacques played on the playground. It is amazing the difference and how green and different it looks. Even the home elevations, mm-hmm. you don't see that on the West Bank at all. And so... Oh, what a notable difference about, um, you know, and you can see where there's that struggle in the parish between resources and, and those kinds of things. Because the East Bank is is rural, but it's, it's you know, very pretty and lush. And the home elevations was just unbelievable. Yeah. And so it was interesting to talk about that, too, with folks like Daryl and Turner, mm-hmm. too. I mean, Jock obviously used to live that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well... We didn't have quite as many home elevations just because it was before some storms that forced us out. But, you know, it is amazing. I, I just, it feels different when you're there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a different feeling and there are trees and, you know, and anyway. Um, but back to myth busting. Yeah. Another big, big topic or tagline is the whole dredge, don't divert. You know, just dredge it out of the river and then we'll be good. That'll solve our problems. We should give Alicia a drink and then make her ask that, answer that question. <laughs> so what are we missing by just doing it by dredging alone? So first let me say, I mean, dredging is important. And, and when we can do that and be strategic about it, we should dredge. Um, but if you only rely on dredging, you are missing out on almost 80% of what the river carries. Uh, the river, the sediment, it's sand, which is that heavy material that you actually can dredge. That's about 20%. And then 80% is clays and silts, which are very fine material that you that don't settle to the bottom, so you can't actually dredge them. 
Instead, they kind of go off, they go where the water goes and they go off into the Gulf of Mexico. So when you dredge, you actually get all of that sediment. You get the sands, but you get the fines. Sands help you build new land. Fines help hold on to what you have. That's when a you, great way when to say that. When you use the sediment diversion, you get all of yes. the Yes, when material. you do a sediment diversion, you get all of it. Versus if you dredge, you just get at the, the coarser sand material. Because you'll hear people say, well, I'll take the water, but I don't want the sediment. Or I want the sediment, not the water. And it's it's just like, no, in a sediment diversions case, it has to come together because of the mixture of materials. And I love that you just said that. Sand builds it and finds keeps it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also, the, I mean, the water and the nutrients, like we were talking right. about with Terrebonne, right? Like you need some of that to maintain once it's there and once it's built. And so with a, a marsh creation or dredging project, you know, you, you pump it, which is costly, you know, you build marsh, but then it, if you're not giving it regular sediment input or fresh water or nutrients, it, it's still subside. It's going to subside just, you know, like with the right. land that we have now. So these things can work together. You can do, you can do dredge and do marsh creation, but then you need a sediment diversion in place to help keep it there for the long term. Yeah. The Ecological Society of America is here in town actually all week. They have 3,500 folks. I got a chance to speak to one of the groups yesterday and we had that discussion about, you know, we need things to build the land now like marsh creation, but we also need something to sustain that, right? Mm-hmm. To, and, and to me, sometimes it's a money issue um, to protect our investment that mm-hmm. we're making. And, but it's about returning the system to wait to the way it was. Cause if you don't, then you're just going to be in the same jam that you were before. You're going to, the land's going to slip slide, the water's going to rise. And so but you'll have no money. And right now, now you're out it. of money. Right. <laughs> so that, that's to me kind of the, the picture that we tried to paint for them too. Yeah. Um, about the, okay, if you don't change it, then, you know, it's just like life, yeah. the same thing will happen again. So I talk about this all the time, but I love it. It's a cool story. Anything with history, but Cubit's Gap. We've had Dr. Alex Kolker on. He and his team of Tulane researchers. Oh, that's study the story there. about the daughters. Yeah, the yes. daughters of the, yes. yes. Um, but anyway, it's the Arian Plaquemines Parish that, you know, there was a crevasse and it's built land over time. But we've learned a lot from, in terms of the, the type of land and the resilience of the land being built, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Cubitt's Gap is one of those passes that's on the eastern side of the river, um, and it's an area where land is being built. But it's not just that land is being built, but it, it's strong, sustainable land. It can um, The soils are strong. The vegetation can hold on to it. And so this is an area that, um, because of the sediment coming in, is more resilient in the face of storms. It's kind of a model of the potential that diversions have if we were to actually use them and build them the right way building that land for the long term, building land that is strong. Yeah, I mean, and it's such a, I think, you know, Dr. Kolker wrote in a letter to the editor in the Plaquemines Gazette that, you know, almost their research at Cubit's Gap was a test for diversions and large-scale sediment diversions that would deliver sediment into the marshes over time. And he's like, you know, the, our research says that diversions passed. You know, yeah. they passed the test. Yeah, I love yeah. his conclusion that he came to on that because I think it was, it was, you know, just the way that people needed to hear that, that mm-hmm. this is what this study wanted to do, but this is what is an outcome of the study too, right? You know, this is what we can mm-hmm. we can look forward to in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I guess another kind of point that needs to be made, and you kind of made it with Wax Lake and with Cubit's Gap, but there's so many places building land, right? Because of the river and freshwater and, and sediment. There's also been so many modeling done, so much modeling done in studies and just, Diversions have been a linchpin of of coast of the coastal plans going back decades, right? So, I mean, to say that they're not tested is that, you know, what what are your thoughts there? 
so it's it's yeah you hear that sometimes oh these these projects are experimental and this is in no way experimental I hate this that is one. This is how the river built this entire region. There's nothing That's experimental not an experiment. about it. <laughs> right. It is, it is the way it's done. Now, you know, there's refinement of how do we build it faster? How do we build it in strategic locations? How do we get the most sediment we can while minimizing water coming out of it? Those parts may be like dialing in a project, but as a concept, it is not an experiment. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a frustrating one for us to have. Well, we are up against another break. We do have more to talk about, Alicia. You're not done with us yet. (laughs) We have a few more that we want to cover. We also want to talk about some of those upcoming events again. So don't forget, you can find past episodes on deltadispatches.org. But you're listening right now to WGSO 990 AM. We'll be right back. And you're back. We're listening. You're listening. We're listening to the Delta Dispatches <laughs> on WGSO. Show. It must be the 9, 9 eucalyptus. <laughs> I just had some uh, essential oils. So I'm telling you, what what happens during these breaks is its own show. I'm telling you. Well, you know, it is time for the fun question. It is. And I cannot think of a better fun question. I, it's a two-part question. First part, how much whiskey are you allowed to bring back from Scotland and how? Second part. What is your favorite Scottish whiskey? Um, I think you're allowed to bring back as much as you can fit in your suitcase. <laughs> I did have think? to bring, I had to buy an overflow bag. I thought you were going to say so you much. left clothes. I left clothes in I mean, Scotland. <laughs> there was some debating about that, but I definitely brought back most of my clothes. But I have an extra bag now so I could fit more scotch in my suitcase. So what's your favorite? So my favorite, um, I like a nice, I'm a, a marsh person. I like a nice peaty scotch. So Lugavolin <laughs> is my favorite. So did you actually go and get to do tastings and see where they were made and oh, stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We went to a couple different distilleries. Um, we did not get to go to Isla, where Lagavulin is, but we did go to the Talisker on Isla Sky, which was super fun. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. A little dangerous. I've, I, I'll, I'll stick to wine tastings, you know, because that's, I can handle that. I had my friend drive the car since we were driving <laughs> on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> that, that's Pretty smart. smart. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Well, we are back at it for our last segment, and we are busting myths i will get it right eventually um so let's talk hit the mic like you usually do it is not the food wine and dine and spirits show i promise y'all um okay so let's talk about nutrients yes another hot topic when it comes to diversions and water um you know some people time like to use nutrients as like kind of another boogeyman thing that's bad but in fact we need nutrients right and and our wetlands need them to a certain extent Yeah, and it's a little bit of a complex story. Um, We have a lot more nutrients in the river system these days than we used to, mostly because of agricultural practices up in the Midwest. So there are elevated nutrients compared to what we had, um, you know, 200 years ago. Um, But nutrients aren't necessarily a bad thing. Nutrients are fertilizers. They're what makes the plants grow. Um, Too much of a good thing can be bad which is something that we need to think about. But right now we um, have a river that we use for our drinking water. So it's not too polluted for that. I thought Denise Reed did a great job at Voices of the Bayou explaining what the dead zone is. Mm-hmm. And that all plays into this nutrient discussion. too. Yeah. And a lot of our organizations, certainly National Audubon Society, you know, National Wildlife Federation, Environmental Defense Fund, we're all working very actively on kind of trying to help with runoff upriver and 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 improve uh, processes for reducing runoff that's coming down from these farms and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So that's a huge part of it too. It is. It is. Yeah. But in some ways, like 
nutrients in freshwater can help sustain wetlands. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, nutrients are fertilizers. Mm-hmm. They can help grow those wetland plants a little faster, a little bigger. Uh, and in doing so, they can also take up, the plants themselves take up nutrients out of the water so that less nutrients make it into the Gulf and actually contribute to the dead zone. So we can help shrink the dead zone by passing it through these wetlands first. Yeah, they can like act a as filter. Our, yeah, they're filters. They're the kidneys of the ecosystem. Ah, I like <laughs> I that. that. Yeah, I mean, you just see it with the, I mean, when you see the sediment being like pushed off into the Gulf of Mexico, with that is nutrients, right? So rather than putting it out in the massive open water, mm-hmm. get into wetlands, marshes, plants that can actually process it. Yeah. So also too, Alicia, if wetlands are the kidneys, uh, Mr. Go was a dagger to the heart, right? Yes. But this is not, a, this is apples and or, this is, Apples and broccoli, right? Satsumas and oysters. Satsumas and oysters. That's not a great combination. Um, Yeah, so the the Mississippi River Gulf outlet, this is, you know, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember, like 50 mile uh, long navigation channel built in the 50s and 60s. Comparing that to the channel of a a river diversion is, quite frankly, silly. It's just not, it's not a fair comparison. Um, River diversions are built into the river levee so that you can manage um, things better, so that you actually have the flood protection from hurricanes as well as river um, floods as well. So it's completely right. different. One is a massive channel for navigation and huge, you know, deep draft ships. Right. The other is a channel for restoration that's going to build land. Yes. Okay. One of the things Let's that Let's call I, a spade a spade. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Joni Tuck would say a spade a shovel. Um, <laughs> but the um, one of the things that we've seen recently is is as we move forward with some of these sediment diversion projects like Mid-Baratari and Mid-Breton, they've recently put out some information, even what the construction sequencing would be of like, how do you even construct a diversion structure on the river and what the channel looks like? Seeing that process makes you really understand this is not a Mr. Go. I mean, this right. is this is something that's totally different and so thought out and, you know, really an engineering marvel to a lot of degrees about how they do it. And so you get that it's not just this deep draft, you know, single shot channel somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's been helpful to as the project evolves to be able to see things like that construction sequencing. It's also pretty amazing to think about you know, how they will build that and how many people will build that and what the economic impact of that will be yeah. um, to wherever it's being built. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Awesome. Well, what else is going on, Alicia, now that we've busted all the you myths? some non-coastal myths you want to bust? Congratulations on your new house. Oh, oh thank yay. you. Thank you. It's almost like I live there. <laughs> I still have a few boxes. So let me just get this straight. She like dropped this blog, bought a house, and then left the country. I mean, no one was suspicious. <laughs> and about imported that. a case of uh, Scottish yeah. whiskey. Right. Yeah, at least she came back home with a whole bunch of booze. <laughs> <laughs> well, now she's got a big house note and some uh, some questions to answer. Right. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. good. Well, thank you so much, Alicia. As a reminder, you can go online MississippiRiverDelta.org. Check out our blog for Alicia's blog, Myth Busting Blog. The Mississippi River is our greatest force for building land. Also check out A Tale of Two Basins. Also check yeah. out the Coastal 360 video, yeah. Mississippi Don't River Delta. The, yeah. org Eric slash Johnson's Whiskey Island, mm-hmm. right? He you yep. can you can read about the Tale of Two um, areas and then tell it to basins, but then also about Whiskey Island mm-hmm. and then go see them uh, almost in person in the 360 yeah. videos. Um, so don't forget that you're still on a beautiful video for Walton and Happy Johnson. Yes, from, we hope to have Happy Yeah, on we soon. would love to have them on. Um, those have been beautiful videos telling great stories. And so um, CPRA next week. 
Yeah, and good and good luck tomorrow, Simone. Oh and, yeah, I thank know you. I'll be thinking of you while I'm on a boat touring yeah. oyster reefs and mm-hmm. potentially eating oysters after. Well, I hope you eat a satsuma while you're at it. No. It's not season. <laughs> Although my satsuma tree is really like looking good, so I'm like, oh, it'll be the first year it produces. So I'll maybe we can bring satsumas into the studio and we uh, can make it the. Delta Dispatch my, my little, Satsumas. My show. little girl calls them Zatsumas, oh. and I just can't correct her. It's just so funny. <laughs> so, um, yes, thank you for the shout-out. Our store retreats annual meeting tomorrow while you sun and eat oysters. And um, CPRA next week, Finance Working Group and Governor's Advisory Commission. The Mississippi River Commission is also coming down on their low-water inspection trip. They do this every fall, uh, the 19th through the 24th. They're going to have a public meeting in Morgan City. Um, Um, where they have Major General Richard Kaiser, who's the president of the Mississippi River Commission. They go up and down the river, which is pretty amazing, talking about runoff and some things like that. So they hear uh, from lots of different people on the river. And then they end it always here. This time it will be in Morgan City. Anything else going on? That's a lot. You know, yeah, we'll definitely keep you posted on stuff that might be coming later next month, as well as we look forward to bringing you some new voices to Delta Dispatches in the weeks ahead. Um, But always go and catch up. There's so much great content out there. DeltaDispatches.org. Download some podcasts before a flight or a long drive. You know, if you're out fishing, you want to, you know, run on your treadmill. Somebody told me that they mowed their grass and listened to There you go. There's no shortage of, um, (laughs) you know, opportunities to listen. Thank you again, uh, Dr. Renfro. At Alicia Renfro. Yeah, follow her. And, of course, we have to give a shout-out to our saints, who dat, and, and bless them boys. Mm-hmm. Bless you, it's boys. It's all starting. <laughs> <laughs> this is the season, I feel it. Bless you, boys. All right. Um, thank you for listening to an early edition of Delta Dispatches. We'll be back next week. You, at a regular time. At a regular time, yeah. Have a good evening, afternoon, and go Saints.